You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Noelle Herhusky Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, September 26, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Woody Bessler of the Center for Sustainable Living about empowering local residents to go solar. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. But first, your daily headlines. At the Bloomington Board of Public Safety meeting on September 20th, Police Captain Scott Oldham gave the police department's report. As you'll notice, call volume as normal during August increased uh, considerably. As you go through the nuisance calls, uh, you'll see the breakdown, which remains pretty consistent across the years. As we get into the major categories, you'll note that we did have a rise of crimes against property, um, but everything else was remarkably consistent um, with last year uh, as it normally stays year to year. If you notice, aggravated assault had a little bit of uptick, so did intimidation. Uh, but other than that, like I said, we stayed consistent across the board uh, month to month. Oldham shared that they have seen an increase in fentanyl overdoses and vehicle accident fatality. Uh, major crime trends. Uh, we've seen a large increase in fentanyl overdoses. Officers have been working on that. Uh, you might note, unfortunately, we had one vehicle accident fatality at uh, 69 and 46. That occurred during this reporting period. Of course, you're familiar uh, with one that occurred the other night as well. Uh, and that was on North Walnut. Oldham updated the board on expenditures that will be coming in the future. Um, you should see some large purchases and expenditures coming through. Um, some will be for radio replacement. It's an annual replacement. There's also going to be some coming through if they haven't already been filed for um, vehicles. Um, those are delayed. So you may see the bill, and then it got pulled back. So if you do, I apologize. They're not yet here. Matter of fact, they had to all be reordered uh, because Ford came up short in the 22 model year, and they had to be reordered as 23s. So if you got that bill, you can disregard on it. We'll pull it back. Um, other than that, I think that's it. The next Bloomington Board of Public Safety meeting will be held on October 18th. On September 19th, at the Richland Bean Blossom School Board meeting, board members considered a general operating bond. Assistant Superintendent Matt Irwin said the bond would help with existing needs in the school corporation. Main themes of it are HVAC upgrades and repairs, uh, technology upgrades and repairs, backup power upgrades, um, general remodeling and capital improvements, um, amongst other capital needs of the school corporation as they come up through that process. And so again, we putting that in that 1028 allows us to be flexible with those funds and to continue to address the most important pressing things that we have with this bond issue. Bond counsel Jacob McClellan explained that the bonds would not exceed $5 million. He outlined that board members were undergoing the authorization step for the general obligation bond. 
the authorizations, again, they'll authorize bonds in an amount not to exceed $5 million with a rate not to exceed 5% and a final maturity not to exceed December 31st of 2028. Um, as I referenced, these will be direct general obligations. So I know in the past you all have issued um, bonds through your building corporation. This is a direct obligation. That's why the approvals are a little bit simpler. Um, and the process is slightly different than some of those. Um, after uh, the closing or after the sale of the bonds, um, as we have in the past, we'll get together a signature package. We'll get that um, to Matt and we'll get draft documents to Christine for her to review as well. Um, and, you know, then we'll have two weeks between the pricing and closing and then your funds will be available. So Irwin explained why he believes the bonds are needed for the school corporation. Again, we did the facility study um, through the spring of this year where we partnered with Lancer Plus BB and Skillman Corporation where they came in and looked at all of our facilities corporation-wide and identified existing needs that we have across the corporation. Um, but again, these HVAC technological upgrades, the remodeling, um, and again, at the work session, I gave you that document that listed a whole bunch of the things that we would hope to knock off with that. These are things that have to do with the learning environment, and making sure that our kids have the, the educational tools that they need to be successful in today's world. Um, and so again, that's where the need comes from. It comes from the things that we've done as far as gathering information to look at what's going on around the corporation, but also knowing the age of some of the equipment to make sure that our buildings are heated and cooled and ventilated the way that they're supposed to be, and our kids have access to the educational tools that they need to be successful uh, learners, not only while they're in our building, but someday out in the real world. Managing Director for the Indiana Finance Office of Stiefel walked through the school corporation's financial situation in light of the GO bonds. As you can see, you're set up well for the future. Um, when we're talking about new projects, we want to see this sort of picture where um, debt is starting to be retired and repaid and the uh, overall debt payments in the future are coming down each and every year. This sets you and the school corporation up well in the future. If there are additional uh, facility plans, financing needs in the future, you can do so in a tax neutral manner, meaning the tax rate won't increase. Uh, going to page three, uh, this shows uh, the repayment of the proposed 2022 uh, GEO bonds. Uh, a couple things to note, you will see the payment uh, will increase from 2022 uh, to 2023, primarily because of the assessed value growth that the school corporation has seen. Uh, the goal here will be to get this repaid uh, in one year uh, to lower the interest rate, minimize the interest costs, and again, set the school corporation in a position where it can come back in the future uh, and take advantage of uh, tax rate flexibility if it so chooses at that point. The board approved the bond resolution unanimously. The RBB school board will meet again on October 24th. At the Bloomington Utilities Service Board meeting on September 12th, board member Kirk White asked Director of Utilities Vic Kelson about the cost of carbon used to filter the water. Kelson replied the activated carbon is normally enough to handle contamination. However, these last two years have had unusual circumstances. We feed activated carbon all the time in the yeah. summertime to control DVPs, and it also helps some with the taste and odor. We just had an, an excursion that was more than we could treat right now. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job explaining how the, uh, the, the department's doing its best to handle that over the last couple of weeks. 
Because my point was that if we're, if we're making extra efforts, this may not be an extra effort, it may be just standard, but if we're making extra efforts, extra expenditures to, to help the quality of taste and smell, then that's a good thing for the public to know. I think so too, yeah. Um, we do, uh, we started feeding it in 2017 as part of trying to control disinfection byproducts more effectively. And we had a side effect, side benefit of taking out the taste and odor compounds. It used to be the water tasted like a lake basically all summer long. And we got hundreds and hundreds of complaints. Um, so it's better. But these last two summers, we've had some unusual circumstances. And it's, yeah. Next, Jane Flagg asked the board to approve an agreement with American Structure Point Incorporated to work on phase three of the Fullerton Pike project. This contract would be for additional services, not to exceed $35,700. I'm asking for an approval of an agreement for consulting services with American Structure Point. Um, They performed uh, the design of our relocation of water main, water main relocations that would be required for Fullerton Pike phase three. They completed that design last year. At the time, we assumed that we would be doing this in-house with our own staff, so we didn't have a contract information book. We didn't have contract uh, bid documents, anything like that. Um, now that we've had some turnover and, and are kind of trying to reorganize our our staff and our crews, we've determined that it'd be better to go ahead and get this put out on the street for a bid to have a contractor do it for us. They can do it quicker, and there's going to be a time limit in terms of getting our relocations done in advance of the road construction. So we expect our notice to proceed for that, for the relocations to be the end of this year or the beginning of next year. So we're preparing bid documents to put this out to bid. Um, so we're looking at adding construction or adding these services to American Structure Point. It's a brand new contract because we had completed the previous one. This will uh, allow them to make a, just a few design changes, add traffic maintenance plans, um, prepare our bid documents, and then uh, perform bid assistance once we've received the bids. The board approved the contract unanimously. The next Bloomington Utilities Service Board meeting will be held on September 26th. Up next, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. KiteLine airs each Friday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB. The program is available online at wfhb.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Throughout this summer, children in Texas's youth prison system have repeatedly been trapped in their cells, forced to urinate in water bottles and defecate on the floor. Calls for immediate action by juvenile justice advocates and dozens of lawmakers to address the crisis have largely gone unanswered by Governor Greg Abbott. Last month, the governor's office said the safety of staff and youth at TJJD was a top priority for him. He touted the agency's recent pay raise, funded largely by agency officials siphoning cash from the plethora of vacant officer positions. And he promised to support further salary boosts during next year's legislative session. In May and June, more than a dozen detained youths at Gidding State School 
said officers didn't let them out of their cells to use bathrooms between 4.30 p.m. and 8 a.m. during the week due to short staffing. On the weekends, without teachers and case managers to fill in for vacant officer positions, youths were sometimes kept in their cells 22 hours a day. During monthly inspections, the children told the independent ombudsman for the Texas juvenile system that they had no choice but to use water bottles, milk cartons, lunch trays, or pieces of paper as makeshift toilets. It's inhumane, a youth told inspectors. Even animals are let out. In June, the ombudsman reported that only 60 officers out of 140 needed were available to work at the lockup. At the Gainesville State School in North Texas, Youth reported in May that staff gave them cups to use as toilets in their cells. In their June report from the Giddings Prison, inspectors noted, the youth's right to be free from psychological harm appeared to have been violated. A 35-year-old man incarcerated at Rikers Island died Wednesday, marking the 14th death in New York City custody this year and the 30th since the beginning of 2021. Kevin Bryan's death is under investigation. He had been held at Rikers for less than a week on a $5,003 bail on burglary charges. The death comes after the regulatory body overseeing city jails, the City Board of Correction, released a report this week detailing how officers' failure to check on cells, render first aid, and escort incarcerated people to medical appointments had a role in at least six suicides and four drug overdoses inside Rikers' walls last year. The mother of Brandon Rodriguez, who died by suicide at Rikers last year, released a statement through the advocacy organization Freedom Agenda, saying it seemed as though city officials did not care about the continued deaths. Quote, doing nothing equals more death, she said. The humans on Rikers are screaming for help. Is anyone going to help them? Advocates and attorneys for the incarcerated are seeking a federal takeover of the city's jails, saying officials cannot keep detainees safe. Damian Williams, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, could request such a federal monitor. He visited Rikers Island last week. A judge could consider a formal takeover recommendation as early as November. Meanwhile, the city jail population is ballooning. There are about 5,712 people currently in Department of Correction custody, according to Comptroller Brad Lander, up 9% since the beginning of the year, when Mayor Eric Adams directed the NYPD to curb crime with more arrests. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose explores ways to make renewable energy available to Indiana citizens with lower incomes in his conversation with a leader from the initiative devoted to empowering locals to go solar. Today, in the second installment of an ongoing series of feature reports, Rose speaks with Woody Bessler of the Center for Sustainable Living, or CSL for short, about the solar projects that operate under CSL's umbrella nonprofit organization. We turn now to part two of the conversation on the WFHB Local News. You've consulted with individuals, businesses, and government agencies around the state on reducing their utility expenses, energy efficiency, and I believe the Going Solar Leadership Forum. Is that in 2011? Is that something that 
fit into this Solarize program, or, or is that something a little later? Actually, that's exactly the, the talk that I was referring to when I said uh, I was involved in doing the research for that original presentation back in 2011. And I was very much, that was just a few weeks before I had my solar installed. And it was an attempt to reach out to the cohort of people in Bloomington who we felt were very informed about climate change by this time, you know, fast forwarding to 2011 from my high school days. And we knew that there were people who were biking more, going to the farmer's market, were maybe growing their own vegetables. They were doing all these things to try to reduce their carbon footprint and to be living a more sustainable life. Again, as we saw at the various CSL uh, Simply Living Fairs. However, what prompted me, being an engineer, I'm interested in analysis, evaluation, and trying to get the most bang for the buck. And so I was trying to decide for myself whether or not to go with solar hot water, solar electric, solar air system, a geothermal. You know, there were all these different technologies that I knew that were out there, you know, growing your own vegetables in your own garden, driving a hybrid vehicle instead of a regular vehicle, all these things, but they, you know, have different costs different implications. As someone who wears glasses, riding a bike in the rain is just not a great experience. I wanted to understand what the pros and cons were, both from a, a cost standpoint, but also from you know the what I call the embodied energy. You know, lots of people think that it's a good idea to replace their windows, but it's not really. The cost of replacing your windows compared to the benefit that you get from it and you look at the embodied energy it took to build those windows, it's almost disrespectful to yank them out and put brand new ones in and use up all the virgin material associated with producing those new windows. Many times just adding a storm window can get you most of the way there with a lot lower uh, energy content. So that was the kind of research I was doing. And that led to giving this going solar talk that helped lay out for people. We called it at the time, the equivalent of a consumer reports on how to make a decision about what makes the most sense. And we compared it to growing trees, a Prius, and laid out what the benefits of thermal solar water were, thermal solar air, and solar PV and kind of you know laid out the numbers in an eye chart that made it clear what the cost was, but also what the big benefit was. And even at the higher cost of solar PV or solar electric systems, that was a clear winner in terms of being able to get year-round benefit from it. When you do solar air, it may help you some in the winter, but you know we don't have to heat our homes 12 months out of the year, it's you know four or five months. So you don't get as much benefit from it year round. With solar hot water, you can get a benefit year round and it still remains a very attractive choice, but it is only gonna help you on your water usage or hot water usage. Whereas with solar electric, you're getting the benefit year round and you're utilizing it in you know, a, a more broad fashion in your life. And you know, just uh, throw a factoid out there, a four kilowatt solar PV system 
is equivalent to something like 240 trees. And the idea then, you know, that we're going to plant enough trees to reduce our carbon footprint, a typical home would need in the neighborhood would have to plant about 500 trees in order to be equivalent to the size of a typical solar energy system for a typical person's electric usage in Indiana. And, you know, obviously trying to plant 500 trees, you're going to use up a lot of land. So putting solar on your rooftop that uses much less uh, square footage has a much bigger impact than some of these alternatives. And I can see that uh, you've definitely got a holistic vision about the situation. You're not just going for an easy fix that some people a little more well-off might be, you know, not willing to make a lot of lifestyle changes that you've discussed, you know, decisions about your family and go for the easy thing that they can do and afford, at least for some people, is to just grab the technology. But you're actually considering weighing all these things against each other, which is definitely uh, good to see that it's, you know, you're not just one of these people that are trying to get an easy fix. That's what a lot of people are looking for these days. I appreciate that. And uh, I'll just tag on to that to say that one of the things we emphasize and have pretty much from the beginning was that very first going solar talk said the reason we used a four kilowatt system that was roughly enough to do half of the average homeowner's usage. And what we would tell people is the least expensive thing to do is to stop electricity as much as you do, you know, and either through energy efficiency or just stop wasting it. You know, so often, as I found in my own family situation, we were able to reduce our energy usage, a family of four in a very typical ranch house built in 1968. You know, not some energy efficient igloo that had been, you know, designed by NASA or something, but we were able to make pretty affordable changes, locking gaps up, uh, sealing around attic space penetrations with a foam gun, you know, one of these expanding foam gun, guns, blowing in cellulose insulation, which is nice because it also has the benefit of being a fire retardant and it's just made of ground up newspaper. So it's a very, environmentally benign. It doesn't, it's not all scratchy and itchy the way fiberglass can be. You can go rent a blower or borrow a blower if you buy enough bags of insulation from one of the local big box stores that has the insulation and the blowers. So you can do it as a do-it-yourselfer thing on a weekend with a friend or two and make a huge impact in your energy footprint. Like I said, for us as a family of four, not sitting in the dark. There was no way my family was going to tolerate being cold or, you know, being in the dark or, you know, giving up life's pleasures and comforts, you might say. But we were able to cut our electricity usage by 46% over a one-year period and mostly through eliminating waste. Pretty uh, easy example is in a plug strip and having your electronics like your TV and your maybe DVD player, or then again, it was for me, it was a VCR in that era. And when you have kids, they might have a game console or something. And it's easy to just plug those things and forget about them, but they're drawing power 24 hours a day called vampire power. And it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you plug them all together in a plug strip, you can see they're maybe drawing as much as a 60 watt light bulb. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but when it's on 24 hours a day, it really adds up over the course of the year. 
And the other, we had a, a simple rule. If you're not in a room, you shut the light off. The light switches to closets and things where you don't need the light on for very long. I put a little rotary timer switch on them. And that way they couldn't be on for more than 15 minutes or in a bathroom, no more than an hour, like on a fan and that kind of things in a bathroom. So, you know, they're, they're very low cost things that made a difference incrementally and added up. So we put the program together, encouraging people to put in a smaller system and then work over time to reduce their energy usage. They wouldn't have to be as aggressive as I was trying to do it all in one year because they weren't trying to win a contest, but they could do it you know, uh, over a, a few years time. And if they didn't get all the way to 50%, then perhaps by that time, the cost of panels would be lower and they could add some more onto their house if they wanted to. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Zero Rose. Kite Line is produced by Mia Beach. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer powered, listener supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 